worshiping with us. Hope your summer was refreshing and got you a good reset and you're ready to tackle a new semester and all the stuff that's ahead with some energy and some grace. Um, But as we start a brand new semester, uh, I wanted to start for just a few minutes and speak to men. And all men and some young men, young men especially, but, but to all men. Um, you've been told maybe overtly that the masculine traits that you carry are toxic. But probably more so, you've been raised your whole life subtly hinted at that the things that make you masculine are things that should be squashed and things that should be stuffed and, and, and things that should be gotten rid of. They're, they're toxic. And so on the big scale, as men... Uh, you're part of the patriarchy that is a power structure that wants to gain power and wants to keep power by any cost, that you are um, people who are aggressive and you're people who can be oppressive and you're people who are just one step away from being abusive or being predators or maybe just all that masculine energy that's in you. We just have to do everything we can to squash it out. And so in the educational system, sit still, eyes forward, be quiet. If you have had daughters and put them beside sons, one of them is more successful at sitting still and being quiet. One of them is not very successful without doing something and putting their hands on something and, and, and burning their energy out in a direction that's worth going into. And so you've been called toxic or, or subtly the things that are in you, part of your design, have been silenced and pushed out. And I want to challenge you that since we're in church, I'm going to just say the first part of it. It is bull. And you can, now, I fill in the rest from there. It's bull, for lack of a better term. Now, I get it because so many times our masculinity can be sinful masculinity. Right? If it is not governed by Jesus Christ, if it is not restrained for the good purposes of God in the world, then yes, we can be sinful in our use of authority. We can be sinful in our exercise of initiative. We can be sinful, sinful in our aggression. We can be sinful in other ways. Just like we can be sinful as women, sinful as men, because we're all sinful. But the hardwired traits of masculinity are not toxic and they are not sinful They're designed, and they're designed for you to engage the world in a purpose. There's a guy, not recommending him, named Jordan Peterson. He's spoken a lot to to men, and lately he's told churches they need to invite men to church. Well, hopefully we've done that for, you know, 10 years that I've been here, but he did have some imagery that he used as part of it, and again, he is not a Christian. Uh, He's not somebody I'm I'm recommending to you or, or, or any of that stuff. He is what we call natural law guy. That means they look at the world the way it is, and then they logically deduce what it should be like according to its design. And so they do not have Christ in it. He does not have a redeemer. Um... But he did use some imagery from Genesis that I thought was worth quoting um, because it's some of the things I want to encourage and challenge you as men towards. And it's some of the things that hopefully, if you've been here some time, you've, you've gotten to see men grow in that and you've gotten to see us call you and summon you to that. And so he says that men have a woman to find, a garden to walk, an ark to build, a land to conquer, A ladder to heaven to build. Now, that's wrong. Christ is the only one that can build a ladder to heaven, but just want to make sure that's straight. A ladder to heaven, and then catastrophes of life to face stalwartly with love and with truth. 
And I thought that was some great imagery. That as men, we are designed to have a partner of a woman that we intentionally pursue and with integrity live our life preparing for, right? We're not called to spread ourselves as far as we can with some kind of conquest or, or notches. That is not what you are made for. You are made for a woman. You're not made for the images that fill up your mind on a, on a computer screen or on your phone screen. You're not made to spread that around. You're made for the love of a person. And you're made to take initiative. You're made to either pick up a phone or walk up to a woman and say, would you like to go on a date with me? You're not made to talk to women for six months because we're just talking. You're made to man up a little bit look somebody in the eyes or on the phone, and invite them to go and have a date with you, right? And so, like, you're called to take the initiative to faithfully, with integrity, pursue You're called to protect that relationship so that there's boundaries that either lead you and her both into healthier directions to see if this is what God has for you for life, or to, to end that relationship in a way that has integrity, but, but you man up enough to have those conversations versus let those conversations happen. Or if I, if I just am a jerk long enough, she'll break up with me, and then I don't have to say the words. You're called to pursue a woman. You're called to walk in a garden. Who else walked in the garden in the cool of the day? God. You are called to walk with God. Oh, but that's kind of girl stuff. Church is girl stuff. Reading, I don't do Reading. You know, not unless they make me. Ah, so that Bible thing, right? Prayer, are you kidding me? Prayer is the most non-productive exercise on earth. Can't I go do something instead? If you're going to be a spiritual leader, then you have to be a spiritual man. And to be a spiritual man from where you are all the way up until the end of your life, there's a garden that God walks in that he invites you to walk in with him. There's a garden to walk in. And then he keeps going from there, and he said there's an ark to build and a land to conquer. Did you know the mandate of creation in the very beginning of the scripture is to fill the earth and subdue it? That you are made to build stuff. Now, I didn't mean you're made to build physical things. You may be. I don't know. But it means that you're made to spend your life building something out of nothing, taking the raw materials of creation and bending it for usefulness to the world around you, bending it for usefulness to the good of your customers or, or to the good of, uh, of the people in your church or the, to the good of the people you're in ministry with. You're called to build something with your life. You're called to conquer something with your life. And the first great conquest of men is not out there. The first great conquest of men is right in here. Have you conquered your own soul? He who rules his spirit is mightier than the one that rules a city. Are we people who build? Are we people who conquer? And as he keeps going and he finishes up, there's a ladder to heaven to build that's not true, but there are catastrophes of life you're going to face. You're going to face painful things, you're going to walk into all kinds of circumstances in life that you have absolutely no clue how to handle. You're not competent in those areas. You don't have experience. You haven't figured this one out. You've never seen this one before. And the temptation of men, when we don't know what to do, is we check out and we just ignore it and go to an area we do know what to do. 
I have no clue what to do when it comes to intimate, emotional conversations with, with this person I'm married to. Let me go wash the car instead. Let me go work a few more hours at work instead because I don't know how to do that stuff. But as men, part of being those who take initiative or those who walk into stuff I have no clue what to do with, with God, and do it anyways. And so, are we going to be people who spend our lives avoiding responsibility at all costs? I'll hang out in my parents' basement until the last minute when they kick me out, and that way I can have some video games and Cheetos that I don't have to pay for, right? Or I'll spend all my time idling around in circles and hanging out with the guys and learning every sports hat. Are we going to be those, because men are called to responsibility, are we going to be those who take mastery over our souls? And then intentionally pursue a woman one day so that we can have responsibility over a marriage. And then if God wills it, that we have a family and we have responsibility over a family. And then over a family, there are people, there's men and women in our lives that come into our lives that can use uh, parts of what we have and part of what we do. And so we're going to expand our responsibilities beyond our family to the family that God would add into us. Are we going to be those who take responsibility? And I want to challenge us as men, and I want to challenge all of us. We are not people who are made to avoid responsibility. We are designed for ever-increasing responsibility. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to ever lead 300 or 500 people. It may be three people. But I'm going to expand my realm of responsibility and influence as large as God would have me do it. And I'm going to do it to the best of my ability to say that to his name in the lives of people. That's the design of men. And I don't say that to beat you up. I say that because the design of your heart yearns to build. It yearns to love properly. It yearns for responsibility that exercises authority and initiative in godly and personal ways. It yearns to be aggressive when the time to be aggressive comes to, to war for your soul or to war for your family against its dangers and threats. That's your design. And it might be easier to do the other things, but it'll shrivel your soul to nothing. And it might be harder to launch out and actually own something, but it will give life to your soul to do it. Saddest thing I see, or one of the saddest things I see, I shouldn't say that. One of the saddest things I see is that we fill churches up, hopefully with men, but a lot of times it's not even, they're not even there, but we fill churches up with, with, with men. And for whatever reason, we have no initiative whatsoever. We don't take the lead foot on anything, but we're glad when someone else does. Who take no ownership of some area of the church or some people in the church, and we take no ownership, somebody else will do it. And, and maybe I'll enjoy it if I have time, but if not, that's fine too. We take no initiative, we take no ownership, we take no responsibility. And there's nothing sadder than men who are not so deeply in love with Jesus that it comp he compels them to press into the church and to press into their homes with initiative, ownership, and responsibility. We want you to be able to look around and find some men that are doing that. We want you to be able to look around and find some men that will grab you by the hand and go with you. And if we're of a certain age, and if there's enough gray in our hair, or if our hair's turned loose more than others, then we need to hear the call of God to be the kind of men that young men can walk through life beside, and they'll get where God wants them to go. Okay, end of rant. Has something to do with the sermon. I never want you to feel guilty and defeated by this stuff. I want you to feel summoned to the purpose you're made for. 
And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It is kind of part of the message. You can see it in the text. But uh, it is something that just was on my heart that I wanted to share as we started out. Just to, to be able to model that, that for us. And so uh, the context we're closing out, we've been in a summer series of kind of favorite passages and favorite applications. And we're wrapping that up and headed into the, to the fall um, for university, it's a new semester. For our elementary and, and middle and high, it's a new semester. For, for parents, we're, we're back into the rhythm of, of life and things. And so it's just a great time to kind of refocus and reset. Because at least at Fletcher, we live on summertime. And we kind of check out with our uh, efforts and maybe we check out with our disciplines and we check out with our, you know, kind of faithfulness to showing up and, and we just kind of summer it for a while. Well, summer's over and kids are in school and maybe you're going back to school and it's time to just flip the page. And, and it's a great moment to reset ourselves and to restart ourselves spiritually to the habits that God would have in our life that are healthy and the habits that God would have in our life that make for faithfulness. And so that's what I want to challenge us to in, in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. There's four simple charges that he makes, four simple charges that he makes that I think are going to increase our faithfulness during the fall. They're going to increase our faithfulness uh, during the fall. And so how can we grow in faithfulness with busyness? How can we grow in faithfulness when there's all kinds of challenges to our belief systems? How can we grow in faithfulness when, when life starts cranking up again? And there's four charges, and they sound very much like a battle cry of the great movies, all of which are so old that you don't know them, but you know, they can take our lives. But they cannot take our freedom, right? Some of you know that one. And there may be a day when the strength of men fails, but it's not this day. And be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be strong. Act like men. Let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Father, as we just sung, turn our eyes to wonder. Our souls have shriveled to the size of an iPhone. Turn our eyes to wonder again. Lord, Turn us from lesser glories that have captured our attention and our time and we've wasted our lives away mindlessly on them. Oh, turn us to the blazing glory of your son and the blazing glory of your gospel and the blazing glory of your name. Turn us to that, Father. And may we hear this battle cry and may we walk into this fall with courage and conviction. May we walk into this fall Alert to what's out there, but more than that, built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Help us with that, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So grow in faithfulness this fall. Grow in faithfulness this fall. First, by being watchful while surrounded by subtle dangers. By being watchful while being surrounded by subtle dangers. And so we have the National Hurricane Center and it is their sole purpose in life to look at the weather patterns that could potentially mix together for a tropical depression or a hurricane to form. And it's their mission in life to see that. And as they see the conditions get right, the alert status goes up. And as they see the conditions really start to collide together, they start sending that out to news organizations. And you know the Weather Channel people. Like, they live for hurricane season. 
And they get all pumped up because they get to get their big uh, raincoats on that go down to their ankles. And they get to get out their rain boots that go up to the knees. And they get to stand there with the rain pouring and telling you about the storm that is coming. And, and, and they're going to make sure you're aware of it. And they've got the spaghetti models. And they don't even know what's happening. But it's going to hit somewhere in there, right? And that's, that's what it is. They're going to alert you. And then as it gets closer and closer, they're able to make it more and more specific. But what's their job? They want to give you an early warning system that allows you to prepare for a dangerous storm that's coming. And so, as Christians, there are dangers that surround us. Now, I don't want to be melodramatic like, you know, that that, that there's some um, massive made-up war, but there is a battle that is part of the Christian life, and there are dangers of living in a fallen world. Now, sometimes those dangers are very intense and very big. Sometimes those dangers are more subtle and small, but there are always dangers to your soul that are surrounding you. And so the question becomes, do you have an early warning system in your heart so that when those dangers come, you're looking for them? When those dangers come, you're prepared. Do you have an early warning system in your heart as you look out on the horizon of the world, as you scan the weather patterns that are forming, is there enough watchfulness in your heart that you'll be warned and you'll be prepared? I think that's what this first challenge is to facing fall faithfully, is to be watchful while surrounded by subtle danger. So look at it, the first command in the text, be watchful. It's a simple command with military background, as most of these commands are. And so it would be the person that sets on the wall of an ancient fort, and he's scanning the horizon uh, during his shift to see, is there an enemy approaching? Is there any danger out there? Or if a unit were going out into the field at night, they would have people set up to watch the perimeter to see if there's an enemy approaching so that they can't come in, sneak in, and take them unprepared. Now, if the watchman is alert, he can ring the bell, people can get ready for action, and they can, they can be ready to at least face the enemy. If he falls asleep, and the enemy comes while he's sleeping, then great catastrophe happens. Because there's no way to prepare. There's no way to wake everybody up and get them ready. And so being watchful is spiritually, am I scanning the horizons? Spiritually, am I looking out for the dangers that are out there that are coming in here so that I'm prepared to face them? I don't live in fear of those dangers. I don't live in fear of those enemies. But I live alert to them. Or, as Christians, have we fallen asleep And kind of sleepwalk our way through life. We're busy, don't you know? Let's sleepwalk our way through life. And as we sleepwalk our way through life, those small and subtle dangers that come in catch us unprepared and can have really catastrophic consequences on our soul. They can have really catastrophic consequences on our families. They can have really big consequences on our churches if we're not watching. So be watchful. Uh, in Ezekiel, God uh, uh, makes Ezekiel a watchman, right? Kind of a similar term. And he, and he says to Ezekiel, if you speak my words to people and they don't do anything with it, it's on them. Now, this is Chris's translation. But if you don't speak my words to the people and then they go off into wickedness, it's on you. 
And so are we people with an early warning system who's watching out for dangers that are coming in? Are we people with an early warning system that care enough about the people beside us to be watching for them as well? Speaking the goodness of God's word to them as well. Speaking to be on alert to them as well. And so what are some of the subtle dangers that you and I might face? I guess give just a couple of examples I wrote down. Uh, You are going to a university, many of y'all are working in a university that is flooded with the intolerance of tolerance, right? And so you've got to go swim in that stream and navigate as a follower of Jesus that kind of condition. You're going to go into a classroom, and this guy has three initials after his name or girl. Three initials after his name, maybe more. They've written books, and you hadn't done squat in your life. And maybe they're just dismissive of your faith. Maybe they're hostile to your faith. Maybe they prod at your faith. Maybe they make fun of your faith. And somehow you have to swim that stream and remain faithful. There's dangers that are out there. And you know that if you send a communication out by email in your signature line, You will say the right pronouns or else. There's dangers out there. How do you navigate stuff like this? There's other dangers that are a little more subtle. When you scroll through Instagram, I guess it's still Instagram. What do you hear? Wow, they're so pretty. I'm not. They are so popular. Do you see how many likes they got on that? Man, I didn't get half of that on my last post. Look at that perfect family. Boy, the filter is just right, and the sky is just the right color, and they're at the beach, and I'm not at the beach. You scroll and then hear the dangers creep into your life of what you don't have and what you are not, but what other people are. What are some of the other dangers you may face? There is a media complex, there's a tech complex, and there's an entertainment complex, and their design in life is to get you to believe something. Do you know the the reason that more and more of, hopefully not you, but some of you, and more and more people out there have normalized same-sex attractions in relationships? It started 25 years ago with a comedy uh, on TV. And we laughed at it because it was funny, and we laughed at it because it was cute. It's on TV. And they've normalized that. They've normalized that romance equals sex. And if it's fun and you get the flitters inside of you and, 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 and you, you go out, then that's the natural outcome. And they've normalized a hookup culture because that's going to be okay for you and that's going to be healthy for you. Where does that come from? Turn on the rom-com and just go through them one by one by one. And there is always physical intimacy involved and it's always so carefree and wonderful and light and it either ends up in a great relationship after you break up because somebody found out that you were really trying to break up with them but then it worked back out and you actually found out you were in love because you weren't in love before but you didn't mean to but now you are. But it always has physical intimacy with two attractive people and it works out great for them. The beautiful mask on a corpse but it's cute and it's funny and they're attractive and they're great actors and actresses when they do it. Are you on alert? What is being said to you? Or, it's not a movie anymore, he walks into campus ministry. She walks into campus ministry 
and your whole world gets all turned upside down and you get all these feelings inside of you and then you start dating. But you don't really think much about boundaries. You start dating and man, the attraction level goes up. Dangerous stuff. Physical intimacy goes up. Clarity goes down. And so... Are you alert to the dangers of having a relationship like that where you invite community in and you've got some healthy boundaries in place because you want to honor the Lord with your relationships? Last one I'll bring up. There's a subtle danger to the mantra of the world you live in. You should believe in yourself. What evidence based on your past 18 years do you have to think it would be a great idea to believe in me? What evidence do you have in your 50 years as you look back and think, man, I should definitely believe in me. And the older we get, the more we realize I should not believe in me at all. Right? That is a bad idea. And yet the drumbeat, believe, be true to yourself, believe in yourself, follow your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Do you know where you're going to get if you follow your heart? Deceived and wicked. Along with a lot of mess and a lot of pain in the process. There's dangers out there, but they're normal. There are dangers out there, but it's just a show. There's dangers out there. Man, they're good looking. There's dangers out there, but it just sounds like it's, it's Instagrammable to say believe in yourself and be true to your heart. Danger, 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 danger. Be watchful. Don't fall asleep. So you'll be ready when these things come in. Watch the movie if, if that's what your content frees you to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch or listen to music or do any of that stuff. What I'm saying is make sure there's a filter on your heart. The Holy Spirit has a filter in your heart so that the, what they're trying to get you to believe doesn't come through while you enjoy appropriate movies. So that's some of the dangers that can slip in from the outside. I want to talk about being faithful. Right, what can you stand on that doesn't move when you stand there? So the second part, holding fast to God's word and a life pleasing to him. Holding fast to God's word and a life pleasing to him. So uh, everybody knows what quicksand is, right? It's that stuff when you're walking through the jungle, you step in it, and it sucks you down and suffocates you to death and it like, kills adventurers and travelers, not the main characters, but the other ones. And Chris Fowler had this massively irrational fear as a kid of quicksand. I had nightmares about quicksand. Just watch one too many movies, I guess. Right? Um, now, Quicksand doesn't do that at all, really. What quicksand is, is this layer of sand that looks like all the other sand around it, but water is underneath it as a foundation instead of sand. So you step in it, and it sucks you in a little bit. Now, it doesn't often go past, like, the knee, right? Occasionally to the leg, but it doesn't suck people in and drown them in sand. That's not real. But it looks like all the sand around it till you step on it. As you walk through life and as you walk through the world and as you have conversations with people, there's all kinds of words and all kinds of influences that we just talked about. There's all kinds of philosophies. And it all looks like it'll hold you up. But you kind of step there and you start sinking. Okay, that doesn't hold. You step there and it starts sinking and that doesn't hold. And everywhere you step, it feels like it gives way. What are you supposed to do? What can you live on that holds? Well, you meet a guy named Jesus, and he gives this analogy. And he says, you know, there was a man who built his house on a rock, and the storm came, and the rains came, and the wind came across it, and the house stood right where it was. 
But there was a man who also built his house on the sand. And the same rain came, and the same storm came, and the same uh, winds came. And the house fell, and it was such a great fall. And this is what he says. For everyone who hears my word and does them, he will be like a man who built his house on the rock. Whoever hears my word, same word, whoever hears my word but doesn't do anything about it is the one who builds on sand. And so what I want to encourage you is if you will plant your life on the word that was written by God the creator and God the redeemer, the only true and living God, if you will build your life on his word, then you can stand solidly. You can have a foundation that holds when you start stepping, you start feeling it giving, you're like, no, I can stay here. I want to encourage you to faithfulness, even if it's hard, faithfulness to that book. Faithfulness in a life that expresses that book. Let's look at it in the text. Stand firm in the faith, it says. Stand firm in the faith. Now, this is the only interpretive uh, issue in the text today. And so, stand firm in the faith can either mean stand firm in your personal faith in Jesus Christ. Right? I believe in Jesus. I'm going to stay believing in Jesus. Or, and this is more likely what it means, stand firm in the faith, meaning the revelation of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been given to us and revealed to us. Stand firm in that. But you also see the point, they go together. If I'm like, yes, I believe the gospel. Yes, I'm going to build my life on this book. Yes, I will not move from, I will not retreat from, I won't step off of the foundation of God's revealed word and God's gospel about God's son, Jesus. I'm not going to move from that. Well, that's not just something you say in your mind and believe. That commitment works itself out into your life and how you live and how you apply and what you do. Hear my word, do it, right? And so, yes, I believe it is stand firm in the revealed word of God. Stand firm in the gospel that it speaks of in the son of God named Jesus that it's centered on. Stand firm in that. But the way you stand firm in that is it actually lives out as part of your lives. We're not just hearers of the word. That's deceiving ourselves. We're doers of the word. Right? And so stand firm in that. Stand faithful in that. And so how can you do that? Well, I believe there are some convictional core beliefs you should have. And if you don't have them yet, it's okay. We would love to be part of building that in your life. We'd love to be part of answering the questions and working through the wrestlings of that in your life. But there's some core beliefs that you should be convictional about, meaning you actually believe them when it's hard. And then there's some core habits that you should be consistent in. So I want to give you a couple of those uh, as part of this point. And so convictional core doctrines. Now, This would take forever to try to unpack everything for you. Let me just give you a couple. Now, a great place, if you ever want to start, is you can start with the five solas of the Reformation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, by the work of Christ alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. Grace, faith, right? Um, Christ, glory of God, word of God. Right? And so that, that's, a, that's a great place to start if you want to start working your way backwards. Where do I build from? I build from grace, not law. I build from faith, not works. 
I build from Christ, the exclusivity of Christ. And so do you have convictional beliefs about who Jesus is and what he did? Do you believe he's God the Son come in human flesh? Do you believe he died physically, buried physically, rose again physically? Do you believe that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than that of Christ Jesus? Do you believe there's another way or do you believe he's the only way? Because you go out there and they're like, man, you narrow-minded people. Like, I got my truth, you got your truth. How can you say Jesus is the only way? Because I have a convictional set of doctrines that I live from and I don't negotiate on. And if you don't have that yet, it's okay. Let's work through it together. If you don't have that, get with somebody and wrestle through it. That's okay. But do we believe it is through Christ alone? God the Son made flesh, living a sinless life that you couldn't live, dying for the sins that you have committed, being buried and raised again from the dead, ascended to heaven. Do you believe he's coming back one day? to judge the living and the dead and to welcome all of his people into the great wedding supper of the Lamb where they'll spend eternity under the light of his presence. you believe that? I want to challenge you to convictional beliefs. Do you have a convictional belief on this book called the Bible? It is not just for old fundamentalists. I've been spitting today. I don't know what you believe. The mouse dry. For old people like me that are spitting from pulpits, is that what it's for? Do you believe this book is inspired? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Do you believe this word is inerrant? In the things that it speaks to, it is true and it is accurate. That's a great place to start. He who builds his life on what I said, and he does what I said. There is not a storm that could ever come that could wipe you out. Do you believe this book? I don't think it's enough to just say it's inspired and inerrant. You believe this book is our sole authority for faith and practice. That it gets the final word on what is good and right and what is bad and wrong. It gets the final word on how you should live and what is life pleasing to God is like. What mankind is designed for. It gets the final word on a life that is flourishing because it's given by the command of a good God and the life that is leading to destruction. It gives us the final word on what God is like. You don't get to make him up in your head. You don't get to call him names because you don't think that mean old God would send people to to hell, and so that must not be the God that we know. You don't get to define him in your head to where he is all one thing and not the other. You don't get to define him in your head to say he's all lightning bolts zapping people and there is no love and grace that dominates his nature because God is love. The final authority for what we believe about God, what we believe about the world and how we live is this book. But it doesn't even stop there. This book is completely sufficient for what you and I will face in this world. Everything that we must know to live a life pleasing to God, everything that we must know. Perry's awesome, isn't he? This is Deacon Extraordinaire, right? Everything we must know to function in this world, it's contained in this book. It's sufficient. It's sufficient for the real stuff you're going to face today, tomorrow, and this semester. It's a sufficient word. Do you believe that? A set of core convictional things. And then the last thing I'd mention on core doctrines. This world exists for the glory of God alone. Not your glory and not my glory. That everything in this world spins around God and it's about God and it's for God and it's to God. To Him be glory. And everything about church and everything... In church, and everything the church does, it's about him. It's his. So a 
Are, are there some core doctrines in your life that you don't move from? And to me, I don't, I don't know if this makes any difference to you. To me, as I was wrestling this out, this makes sense to me. Our doctrine is a positive doctrine. It is a positive statement of who God is, what he's done, and what he's like, and what he said. So I could tell you, man, I am, I am against same-sex marriage. And it would be true. But what if I told you this, because this answers more questions for you. I believe it glorifies God for a man and a woman to be married, to grow in loving intimacy with each other over an entire lifetime in this covenant called marriage. And within that covenant called marriage, they express a positive sexuality on a regular basis. That answers a lot more questions, doesn't it? That is a positive statement of the design of God for your relationship with each other. It's a positive statement that talks about gender. It's a positive statement that talks about marriage. It's a positive statement that talks about one of the functions of healthy sexuality. It's within that, and unhealthy sexuality would be outside of that. It's a positive statement of the design of God. And I think our theology should be a positive theology of here's who God is, and here's what he's like, and here's what he said into the world. And it answers a whole lot more questions that we're going to face as they keep changing and we get alphabet soups of gender splintering and alphabet soups of, of different types of relationships that are okay. We have positive theology that we're convictional of. And then there's some consistent habits that should be part of your life if you're going to be faithful. There's some consistent habits. You open up the Bible most days of your life and read something out of it in a semi you know, progressive way. Meaning, like you open it up and you go through, like you don't just like, oh, here's the verse of the day. Where does it land? Life verse. You open it up and you read a chapter or you read a book or you read a couple of chapters. And I don't care if it's three hours or if it's three minutes. Do you do that every day? Because it's the book written by God to you about him. Do you do that? Right? Do you pray most every day? You take a few moments out, and Acts is a great model. If you're new to prayer, Acts, adoration. What's God like worth praising for? Confession, what do you like that needs confessing? Thanksgiving, what has God done in his goodness to your life? Supplication, a big word that says asking. This is what we normally do. This is where you ask God for yourself and others. Do you do that? I don't care if it's three hours or, or, or five minutes. Is it a regular part of your day? And then... May sell themselves serving, but I think it's true. Do you worship with God's people every single week in a gathering? And I would encourage you also beyond that to be in a group. Meaning, do you get together to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and do you make a melody in your heart towards the Lord? Right? Do you gather with God's people to declare God's praises, and in those moments where it's hard for you to declare praises, do you gather with God's people and hear their praises so that those become part of your own? And do you gather with God's people when you're declaring the praises because you're feeling the praises because somebody next to you needs those praises because they don't have it that day? Do you do that? Is it a committed core part of your life? Consistent habits of faithfulness. Now, they shouldn't just be habits. They call them disciplines of grace. They are things that get us tapped into the grace of God. Do you fast? Like, what? We're going to have our first day of, of prayer and fasting. We're going to do them monthly throughout the semester. Our first day of prayer and fasting will be Wednesday, August 17th, if that's a Wednesday. And we're going to break that fast together as our, our opening Wednesday night meal together. 
But we're going to build that into our rhythm because we want a church of treasuring Christ. We realize that's the growth area for all of us. And part of treasuring Christ is, is breaking our hunger of the world and its stuff to express a hunger for God. Be fast. There's some core habits that can increase your faithfulness. Don't worry, I know there's two points, but these are shorter on purpose. Being strong and courageous in an emboldened evil age. Being strong and courageous in an emboldened evil age. So we have threats out there. We have a faithfulness we're committed to here. But there's a mentality if we're going to live those out in the same world. What's that mentality? Courage. The devil, and like that may just cause you not to come back. That's okay. There's a real and literal devil. His name is Satan, and he's, he is a person. He's real. He is not shy in telling you what to believe when you walk out of these doors. He's not shy at presenting every kind of morality possible in your face from every medium possible. He is not shy out there of denying God and denying his gospel. He is not shy out there of defining who you should be like. He's not shy out there at splintering the views of humanity and, and the views of gender. He is not shy about any of it. Why are we? Why are Christians who have the truth and the only way to rescue a dying eternal man to a living eternal man and the only name that is offered to that, why are we the ones quiet? If the devil wants to shout, then maybe we need to be people that shout a little more. Now again, I'm not saying go out there and shout at people. What I'm saying is the volume of our courage should match the boldness of those who are against Right? And so, will our courage go up as the evil age's courage goes up? Look what it says. Act like men. Be strong. Now, your translation may say, have courage. That's why I put courage in the title, because I didn't want to distract you to say that's only directed at men. Though, I do believe that has a word to men. See the opening. If you missed that or fell asleep, you can rewatch it. Be courageous. Have the quality of courage and the quality of strength so that you are not one that shrinks back from the pressures of the age, that shrinks back from the evil of the age, but you shine the light of the light of the world as someone who's been made the light of the world, and you don't hide it under a basket, but you open it up and put it high so it gives light to everybody in the room. A city set on a hill. It's not America, it's the Christian. city set on a hill that shines light everywhere, not meant to be extinguished. Will we be those who are bright and those who are bold and those who are courageous in a world that desperately needs courage? Oh, how weak and frail we are. And men, how whining and complaining we've become. How checked out and passive we've allowed ourselves to be. How we've allowed ourselves to hide under a basket and we've been okay with it. We've, we've made some excuse for it. Courage begets courage and cowardice begets cowardice. So who's going to be the first one to stand up and be counted? Who's going to be the first one that says, no, here I stand. I can do no other. Who's going to be the one that says, no, here, this is, this is what I believe. Now, that doesn't mean you have to take a stand on everything all the time because you'd never stop standing up for stuff. But it does mean when faced with the moment to shrink back or faced with the moment to press forward with the gospel of Jesus, act like men. 
Get battle ready. Instead, as men, we look around and like we've, we, we lose our family and we lose our kids to their phones and we lose our kids to their social media and we lose our kids to their sports. But we just watch. I just watch. Act like men. Take some courage about yourself. Push back a little. Now, the last point is going to give us a posture that, that changes everything. And again, it won't be a long one. Be loving in all of our interactions. It would be easy to be like, battle cry, courage, strong. Man, I'm going to give as good as I get. And, and if you hit me, I'm going to hit back twice. And I'm going to be tough. No. As a Christian, we don't get the right to act like the world acts when we disagree and when we're in confrontation. We don't get the, way to speak, the right to speak the way the world speaks. What a condemnation on us that our social media and our words sound just like the lost worlds when it comes to our politics or when it comes to our hot button issues or when it comes to our social issues. We sound like them. Let all that you do be done in love. You should be known and governed by your loves. You should be known and governed by your loves. Men, you should be known by your love. Your love for God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A ferocious, gentle, serving, humble, leadership love for your wife. A love for your kids that raises them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And a love for the the church, that is the people, not the building. A love for the people around you that gives your life for them. And a love for the lost. That your heart breaks for those who are far from God. And you love them enough to man up and do something about it by opening your mouth. We're known by our loves. And so let love govern the way you're bold. Let love govern the way you're on alert. Let love govern the way you hold convictional doctrines. Let love govern the way you have consistent spiritual practices. Let love govern the way you interact in a present evil age. A few practical things. We'll wrap up. First, what are a few dangerous influences and temptations you presently face? What are a few dangerous influences and temptations you presently face? So if you had to go through a week's schedule and you had to look at your, the, maybe some of the things you hear at school and from other people or professors or whatever, and if you had to look at the TV you've been watching this past week, and if you had to look at the songs you've been singing the past week, and if you had to look at all the sources, what would those sources be and what are they saying? Because until you can identify that, the Holy Spirit's filter over your heart is not going to be operating. It's not going to be watchful. So what are some of those for you? Second, how can you cultivate a strong set of convictions to live by? How can you cultivate a strong set of convictions to live by? It is a thousand percent fine if you're sitting right here and you're like, I don't really have any convictions. I don't know a lot about what you're talking about right now. It's fine. There's all kinds of people in this room that would love to sit beside you and walk through it. There's all kinds of people who would like to wrestle with the stuff you're wrestling with, answer questions that you're asking point you to uh, the scriptures and point you to the grace of Christ. We'd love to be part of helping you form that for yourself. Now, don't just take Chris's word like, okay, I'm going to do it because he said so. No. Like, take God's word for it. Like, go find out for yourself and bring somebody to help you along with it. How can you, in, how can you form some convictions to live by or recommit to some convictions you haven't been living by? Last one. What habits of grace do you need to grow in and how you do it? 
What habits of grace do you need to grow in and how will you do it? If you're going to be faithful this fall, there's no way you're going to be faithful if you don't have some habits of grace to tie your heart to pursuing God. If you don't have some habits of grace that stay when it gets really busy and it's finals week, when it gets really busy and the papers do, when it gets really busy and the work projects do, when it gets really busy because the kids have three activities, if you don't have a commitment to some habits of grace, you will not stay faithful. You'll be busy. You may not do any of the big sins, but you won't be faithful. You don't have some habits that keep your heart pointed towards Jesus. Look, there's threats out there. Always will be. Not melodramatic. We're not worried. We're not fearful, but we're watchful. There's something to stand on that'll hold your life up forever and your eternity. And take courage, though. And we must be loving. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for life and life abundantly. Thank you for making us free. Though our sins be as scarlet, and they are, oh, we want to make excuses, God. We want to hide them away, God, but they're scarlet. They're dirty. Thank you for forgiveness that is completely full and completely free on grace. Thank you for washing us whiter than snow, Lord. Thank you for separating our sin as far as the east is from the west. And if there's one person in this room who has not had their sin separated from them because of the blood and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, would you call them today, God, and would they hear and respond? Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to our time of invitation, you know the Bible says the devil is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. But you know there's a better lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah, his name is Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life you could never live. He died for your sins, not his. He rose again from the dead to prove it all true. Have you ever turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you. If you've not, let's pray together. Or fill out the little white sheet in your bulletin, and we'd love to get in touch with you and talk more about it. Or, or if you have questions about the kind of stuff that, that I shared today, just write that down. We would love to talk st that stuff out with you. But maybe you find yourself here today. You're a Christian, but you feel a little wishy-washy in it. You're a Christian, and you see some serious areas of compromise in your life. You're a Christian, but you see, God's definition of manhood is not one you've embraced or not one you've seen modeled. And you want to ask him for his vision of it. Maybe for you, as you sit here as a Christian, you just say, I need a little more courage in my life. I need to be a little more bold. Whatever your response is, I'm going to invite you to stand and sing together. Would love for you to come up here and pray over that, ask the Father, or you can do that right where you are. Let's stand together.